This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good evening, everybody. It's so lovely to be here today, or this evening, and that we have um, family here. It really feels like family in this in this semicircle. We have something different happening this evening, and I'm very excited um, to to tell you what we're going to do this evening. Firstly, I'd just like to welcome those that are streaming, all those that are on holiday. We miss you. We look forward to seeing you in two weeks, <laughs> and for the rest of us here. I'm going to um, welcome George and Lo and Tremaine to come and join me. Um, we're going to have a panel session this evening. You are, Connie, sit. <laughs> Not sitting in the middle. <laughs> and um, yes, just to share the heart behind it, we felt that there's so much that <laughs> that each of us have to share. And um, we're going to speak about the Word tonight. We're going to speak about the Word of God, um, why it's important, um, what is it we take for granted that everyone knows how to read the Word. So it's going to be a bit different, but I'm really excited. I'm expectant um, for what God wants to do and share within with through these three amazing um, gentlemen next to me. So um, we're going to start in a few minutes, <laughs> a few seconds. I'm going to ask them some questions, but maybe first let me just ask them to briefly introduce themselves. Hi guys, my name is George Nicholas Lawrence, um, and I come from Paul originally. I now live in Stellenbosch. I'm married to Noreen now Lawrence. Over there, so if, she, if you see her going like this, she's taken. Um, you know, we've been married for 10 months now, and I would recommend it. That marriage is great. Um, yeah, these two are getting married in a month, exactly. Yeah, I, I studied here at Stellenbosch. I, I, at school, I wanted to become a chef, and that didn't work out because I saw the industry isn't great. Then I didn't know what to do, so I studied business, finished my degree, and then I became a pastor. So my life took a couple of couple of different turns than what I thought, but now I am here, and I'm glad to be here. I feel like I'm in the will of God, and yeah, it's a privilege for me to, to sit tonight. It's George's birthday today, so I'm going to count to three. I'm not going to let us sing, but you can each sing to him individually when we go into the foyer afterwards. Happy birthday, George. Hello, uh, my name is Tremaine de Hoger. Um, you know, um, I come from Jeffreys Bay originally. Um, you know, grew up in Humansdorf for 18 years and then came to, to Salambosch. Um, when I was young, wanted to be a rugby player. Um, and fortunately didn't take that road because I broke my shoulder in my second year, so that wouldn't have worked out. Um, so <coughs> I'm doing my master's in civil engineering. Um, luckily that is still working out for me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so still in the field that I decided to study in um, and finishing this year, getting married to Ruday in a month. Um, <laughs> And, yeah. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lo, and I uh, come originally from Paul, so that's where I grew up. I'm part of a twin, which makes it probably a bit different to most people. Uh, grew up there 18 years. I don't know if there's any other twins here, so that confirms my point. Um, and so I grew up in Paul for 18 years. I was there at school, and then I came to study university. I studied for seven or eight years at my master's. And then when all my friends left to go, you know, work in different parts of the country, God said, I must stay here. So I've been here now for another five years after that. I'm working as an agriculture economist uh, here at uh, the Department of Agriculture at Elsenburg. And, uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Lo is also recently engaged. <laughs> Woo! 
Yes. All right. So <laughs> we, um, the heart of this is really just firstly to stir a hunger um, in our hearts that we would become hungry for the word, that we won't just be hearers but doers, um, that there would be a revelation in our hearts that each of us here, sitting here, we have access to a living God and we have access to a living word, which means it's not dependent on man alone. We ourselves can sit with God in the mornings. We can open the Bible and he can speak to us. And that that is exciting. It, it's no longer dependent on us or people in the front. We, each of us can go home tonight and open a book and, and the living God wants to speak to us. And he's given us this amazing gift, the word of God. And we're going to, I'm going to ask these three gentlemen a few questions. They've had some time to prepare, so I'm not catching them off guard. I told Tremaine earlier today, I'll maybe ask a really tough question. <laughs> like, was it the Roman context or the Byzantine context? And I don't know the answer either, so I won't ask that question. <laughs> But let's, let's start with George. Um, maybe George, yes, uh, the question we want to ask you is, what is the Bible? There's some of us sitting here and perhaps grew up differently, um, grew up in different um, denominations, were taught the Bible differently, but maybe you can give us a bit more information of what is the Bible? Cool. Um. So I have some notes here. I was thinking about a panel session when we when when we decided to do this, and I thought, you know, it would be great if we can sit up here and they ask us some random questions, and then we just, um, you know, throw out all the knowledge that we have. And then I realized that if I had to do that without preparing, I'd probably speak for about two minutes, and then I'd be done. Um, so luckily, we had some time to prepare. But something that I don't want to do is assume that everybody's on the same page, that everybody's read the Bible from beginning to end, um, that has read every single book in the Bible. Um, so the way that I've approached this is that almost as if you know nothing. And I was a Christian for a long time before I actually realized that I didn't know what the story of the Bible was. And I didn't even know what the Bible was, but I was reading it basically daily. So what I've set out tonight is to is to explain and just take you through a bit of the journey that I've went with, um, that I've went on. And um, what what is, so we're first going to look at what is the Bible, how do we get the Bible, um, or first how, we, how do we get the Bible, and then what is the Bible. And basically the Bible is a small library of books that emerged out of the history of ancient Israel. And the difference with their history is it's not just the normal history. Is they had men um, called prophets, men and women called prophets. And these prophets believed that Israel's story was, the, was a central part in God's plan um, for all of mankind. And that's what set them apart is that these prophets and the people of Israel believed that their story as a nation was God's central part in the, the running and how mankind would run. And basically what our Bible is made up of, as we all know, is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and the Old Testament is made up of, the, of three parts, which is, I think it'll be on the slide there, but um, the first is the, the Torah, which is the law. And basically that's the first five um, books of the Bible, which is, explains the foundation of Israel's existence how they came to existence, and how they continue to exist. Then we have the prophets, which are historical books, and they tell us um, Israel's story from the prophet's perspective. That's books like Joshua and Samuel, Kings, Judges. Those are those type of books. Then we have the writings, and this was new to me also. I didn't know that there's a third category called the writings. Um, but this is books of wisdom and poetry and also some narrative and that's the Psalms and Proverbs and books like Chronicles, which tell us a bit of the narrative, a bit of poetry and wisdom in Proverbs, basically the book of wisdom. And, and the thing is, is that the people of Israel in the Old Testament believed that God was speaking to them through these scriptures. 
The same as what Ruday said, is that God speaks through us through the scriptures. And even in the Old Testament, that's what the Jewish people believed, is that God is speaking to them through these scriptures that were written. And if we move to the New Testament, then we also have three categories. And the New Testament was written by the apostles, and they believed that Jesus was the one who would take the story of Israel forward. After the prophets, they believed that Jesus was the one to take their story forward. And that also consists out of three parts, which is the good news, the gospels, which is basically just the story of Jesus. Um, Then the acts of Jesus, which is his life and ministry to the outside. To, to those outside of Israel, to those outside of Jerusalem. Um, and then we have the letters that the apostles wrote to all the churches in ancient Israel. And all of this, this whole Bible, the, the, the Old and the New Testament put together, is about God interacting with us as mankind. It's about God coming and interacting with us through his word, um, to shape us and to mold us. And on that point, that what the Bible is not, and it's definitely not this, is it's it's not a love letter to you. Sorry if, if that offends you, but it's not a love letter to you. It's definitely not a book where you get your Instagram selfie captions from. It's, 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 it's not. It's not. I'm sorry. Um, it's not even a book where you just gain knowledge from. It's it's not, it, it's not a behavior manual. That's not what the Bible is. Those are maybe outflows, except the Instagram thing. Those are outflows of the Bible that, yes, it does talk about God's love for us. Yes, it does um, give us knowledge about the truth of God. And it does challenge us to change our behaviors and to, to adjust our behaviors to that which is in line with God's. But those are the outflows of it. So what is the Bible then, in essence? And it's very simply, it's a story. It's a narrative from beginning to end. And the interesting thing is I went to go do a bit of research. And if you take the first three books of Genesis, which basically talk about the creation of the world, the creation of man, and the fall of man, and you skip the whole Bible and you read the last four chapters of Revelation, which is the, um, the fall of Babylon, the world that man created, it's the coming of the Lord on the great white horse, the fall of Satan and the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. And you put them together, there's language, imagery, and, 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 and writings that kind of overlap, which tells you that it's one story. I mean, I think of me at school, basically, um, you know, having to do a book report and I don't have enough time because I've procrastinated and I read the introduction and the conclusion and then I write my book report, you know. So you can even go and do that exercise. Go read the first three books. Go read the last four books of, um, of Revelation, and you'll see that it's one story. And it's one story, um, unified story, that all leads to Jesus Christ. And this is where it comes in that I'm not going to assume that you know the story of the Bible. So I'm going to tell, tell you the story of the Bible, um, you know, from, from beginning to end. So God creates the world in perfect unity. Uh, everything's perfect. There's order, there's beauty, there's life. Man and God are in perfect unity. Heaven and earth are in perfect unity. Everything is great. And God gives man a choice to either trust God and his knowledge and his definition of good and evil or to create their own definition of good and evil. And this he does, he gives them this choice by the fruit, uh, the tree of the fruit of good and evil, knowledge good and evil and unfortunately the devil comes and he tempts adam and eve and they choose to define good and evil by themselves they choose to make their own definition of good and evil and this breaks unity with god and man breaks unity with heaven and earth and we see there's a separation um, immediately between them and from this point man becomes power hungry and selfish and self-centered into almost believing that they don't need God. And this is where we have Babylon, who started to almost define evil as good and good as evil. Um, And God sees this, and to save them, he scatters them all over the world. Scatters them apart so that 
they will basically need God again. And, and, and they continue to define good and evil on their own terms, switching good and evil around, and they just don't get it right. And God raises up a man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. And he says to Abraham, you will be the father of nations, and basically chooses this man that his family will lead the people back to God. Now, unfortunately, the people just don't get it. They just don't get it right. They continue to define good and evil on their own terms. I mean, you look at the stories of, of, of the exodus of the people of Israel, how good God is to them, um, and you know how they just continue to redefine good and evil on their own terms. Um, they don't want to trust God completely and wholly. So they failed in this, and they just seem, um, it just seems that there isn't a Savior to come. But way down the line of Abraham's descendants comes a man called Jesus. And he comes into, into the story as a prophet, they believe. And the interesting thing is that Adam and Eve and most of the people in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, whenever the devil came and said, but is God really? Did he really say this? They fall into the temptation and they define good and evil for, their, for themselves. But then we have Jesus who walks into the desert um, just after God has spoken. He walks into the desert and the first thing the devil wants to do, as he always did to the people of Israel, is tempt him and say, but, you know, did God really say, if you really are the son of God, then do this and this and this. And that's the first victory that Jesus has. And he says, sorry, Satan, cheers. <laughs> I trust God more than what I trust you. I trust God's definition of good and evil more than what I trust your or my definition. And he puts his trust completely in God and God's definition of good and evil and the way God wants to do life. So Jesus starts preaching and teaching on this definition of how to live the way that God designed us to live. And Jesus was that place and that point where heaven and earth started meeting again. And he taught us that true power is to serve others to love the poor, and to even love our enemies. And he doesn't only teach it and preach it, but he demonstrates it to us by dying on the cross for us. An innocent, uh, innocent man, completely innocent without sin, he died the death of a sinner. So through Jesus, God made a way to restore this order, to restore this peace and life um, to the world. And he makes this promise that to those who follow Jesus, to follow the teachings of Jesus, to obey the teachings of Jesus, they are not only loved and forgiven by God and have access to God again, reconciled to God, that unity that was broken in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve, they not only have access to reconciliation, but they have now the ability to love and to serve and to forgive others around them which is a total contradiction in the way that the, that the Israelites did it because they kept serving themselves. They didn't trust God enough. And, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and he makes these challenging statements and challenging teachings to serve others, to lay down our lives for others. And he just flips the world on its head. But he, te he taught on what it really meant to follow in the way of God. And, from, and this is where we come in as followers of Jesus, that if we've accepted Jesus as the Savior of the world and we start following in His ways, we now wait for His return because the story is not finished. We're part of the story, that we wait for His return, living out the teachings and, and the, and the, and the um, things that Jesus told us to live by. We live it out now in obedience to Him. And we, by that, we make a proclamation. We say, we trust God and His definition of good and evil. We trust the way that He defined the way we should live. And in that sense, making a, a, a new humanity, a new world again. So what the Bible is, it's a story of hope. Hope in Jesus Christ, because He is the one who allows restoration for God to come and restore and to reconcile us to Himself. And basically what's happening is that as we follow the story, God's continually reconciling, bringing together again man and God. He's bringing together again heaven and earth. 
and he's reconciling us to him and to one another to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what we're waiting for. That's the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. And for so long, I missed out on so much of the Bible because I didn't understand the story. The stuff that I was reading didn't make sense because I didn't understand the whole storyline of the Bible. But now if I go anywhere in the Bible, I know that the story is a unified story that leads to Jesus Christ and him coming back to make a new heaven and a new earth, to reconcile man to God and to reconcile heaven and earth. And that's the story. So that's what I want to encourage us with is that now that you you don't have an excuse anymore, you now know the story of the Bible is that when you read it, you take it to that continually, is that Jesus is reconciling through Jesus. God is reconciling men to himself and heaven and earth. And in that, we read the whole scriptures. That's the lens, basically, or that's a storyline which we follow when we read any piece of scripture in the Bible. And I trust that that kind of, you know, I just, I didn't go into big detail of the individual stories, but that's the broad overview, and that's, that's what I want you guys to take away, that whenever you read the Bible, whatever you're reading in the Bible, that you link it to that story, that you link it from beginning to end, that you're linking it to that story, that it's all leading to Jesus Christ, who has come, died, rose again, and is coming again to make the world heaven and, and earth, and new heaven and earth, and man and God bringing them together again. Amen. Thank you, George. Tremaine, George um, concluded on a, on a way that actually is leading to where you're going to share a bit more with us. And I think um, myself, I studied theology for a lo- quite a long time. <laughs> and um, even in that, you can have all the knowledge, you can have um, everything you think you know, you need to know. Um, but sometimes we miss a few things and and we think we can know the word and then we miss another thing. But thankfully, we have the grace of the Lord that, that enables us to grow and that he wants us like children to come before him at the same time. So, Tremaine, I want to ask you, why and how? Why and how do we read the Bible? I also have my piece of math here. Um, a bit smaller than George's. But my full one is at home. Um, my fiance told me that I shouldn't bring it with. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, <laughs> to get to the question um, and to just carry on from where George left or yeah, um, finished, um, I think it's very important to understand also the context of everything that's written in the Bible. Um, and why and how to read the Bible is probably a question that we all have asked one another or ourselves at some time um, in our lives. Probably in the past, we're probably still asking it right now. Like, okay, how should I read Romans? How should I read Ephesians, Galatians, or the Old Testament? Take it back to that. Um, that even becomes more of a bit confusing. Um, what's applicable, what is not? Um, it's actually quite important to ask those questions and to ask ourselves those questions Um, and these questions are for for non-professing christians important as well but i especially want to tackle them from a professing christian point of view but before i start i just want to ask that we take about 20 seconds and think to yourself or ask yourself this question is what is your motivation or your motive behind actually reading the bible what is your motive behind not reading the Bible if you don't? So ask yourself, why? what is my heart's condition? Why do I read the Bible every day for those of us that read it every day? And if you don't, ask yourself, why not? So take 20 seconds and think about that. I let us do that, um, or I ask that question specifically that we actually do some self-examination because it's something we don't like to do because it's quite convicting at times. Um, 
when we ask ourselves those questions, why do we do the things that we do? Um, is it because we think in the Bible we have salvation, like we have salvation in the Bible? Um, or is it because we think our knowledge will save us? Or do we actually read the word in order to get to know God better? Um, like, Is it for intimacy with him and is God enough for us? It's not always easy asking those questions. Um, and we don't like doing self-examination because it gets quite convicting, especially when the Holy Spirit gets really involved. Um, because then he starts showing you the evil of your own heart, um, of where your heart actually lies. So I'm going to approach this from specifically looking first at the why question. Um, because that actually affects the how question. Um, so, firstly going to look at, and in the why question, there's actually two questions. There's why should I read Bible, and why am I reading Bible, like I just asked all of us to do. Um, why should I read Bible is, has actually, it has an answer to it, more like we can approach it from like a, a almost scientific point of view. Um, and why am I reading the Bible is very self-examination. It takes self-examination, which is a bit, a bit tougher for us. Um, and I want to start with why should we read the Bible? Um, so it's it's a more general type of question. It's for everyone. Um, and firstly, I want to start off with saying that because in it, it is where God not only tells us but actually shows us who He is. Like George explained as well, like it's the story of, of leading to Jesus, always pointing to Jesus. So if we really want to know the Father, Jesus, or <clears throat> then we need to know Jesus. For Jesus says that you have seen me, has seen the Father. Um, so if we do not know Jesus, there's no way that we will know the Father. Um, and Jesus is the Word made flesh. So if we want to know Jesus, then we need to read the Word, um, and we need to need to get to know Him through the Word. So that's the first point of why to read the Bible, um, is because if we really want to know God, if we want to, to grow in intimacy with the Father, then we need to grow in intimacy with Jesus. We need to know Him first, and then we will know the Father. Um, and Jesus is the entire word made flesh. We can't just take some and leave some as we want. Um, it's the entire word. It's not Jesus wasn't the New Testament made flesh. It was the word made flesh. Um, we can't just say, oh no, we'll stick to the new because it's nicer. Um, it's not as nice as if you really read it. Um, <coughs> it's very convicting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so the first point is we read the word, why should we read it? Because in through reading it, we grow in intimacy with God. Um, the second point, um, which is also quite a valid one, I think, is because um, the word actually says that it's able to save our souls and to bring forth growth in our lives. Um, you, know, this, you can put up the scriptures, um, which is James 1, verse 21 and 22, and 1 Peter 2, verse 1 and 2. Um, where it speaks about, James 1 speaks about, put away like all your wickedness or overflow, excess of wickedness, and receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Um, and that which Riday also quoted earlier, be doers of the word. Um, it doesn't help to just read the knowledge. Um, you actually need to obey it. We need to surrender ourselves to the word, to the teachings of the word. Um, and then... <coughs> Yeah, one Peter speaks about desiring the pure milk as newborn babes, um, desiring after it so that we can grow. Just grow. Um, and then Ephesians speaks about growing into Christ's likeness, but he's, he's speaking specifically to the church growing into Christ's likeness, um, like to maturity. So we aren't to remain babes. You can, but that's not nice always. Um, like if you really want to stay a baby, then go for it. Um, but I wouldn't advise so. But what we see is we need to obey the word. <laughs> Otherwise, um, it doesn't count as anything. The scripture in James actually says you deceive yourself. 
um, in thinking you are saved if you do not obey the word. Um, it actually later goes on to say you're not at all saved. Um, you aren't a Christian if you don't obey the word of God. Like you can know everything in it. If you don't obey it, if you don't love it, you're not a Christian. Um, that's what James is all about. Or at least the first two chapters um, handles about that. Like you can know everything in it. Like if you don't surrender to it and heal to Jesus Christ as a Lord and obey him as a son, then you, he doesn't handle with you as a son. He doesn't see you as a son. Um, so moving on from why should we read it, we're going to look at why are we reading it, um, which is which becomes quite con- convicting. Um, we, if we have the wrong motives for reading the Bible, um, then it might lead, probably lead to like being captive to your own pride. Because you're going to think you're okay. You're going to think, yeah, no, at least I'm reading the Bible. Like, he's not reading as much as I am. Um, <laughs> he's probably reading more. But <laughs> um, So, I believe the primary reason why we should, um, like our motive behind reading the Bible is to grow in a more intimate and more pure understanding of who God is. I'll say that again, a more intimate and a more pure understanding of who God is. Um, That means that it's not knowledge-based, it's actually relational-based, but it is also knowledge-based because it's pure, Um, it's truth. Because in it, in that revelation of who God is, will bring forth the closest conformity to Christ-likeness. so in reading the word, we never just read it for knowledge's sake. We always read it in communion with God with the help of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble because it just leads to boasting. Um, leads to your own pride because knowledge puffs up. Um, so when we read the word, we read it to, to grow in intimacy with God. Um, we read it to get a greater understanding of Him so that the Holy Spirit may transform our lives in more in to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. Um, otherwise, we just become more conformed to our own image, which is not nice. And our pride will go up instead of humility growing. Um, we'll just become more boastful. We be, we'll become more proud because um, we think we know more, at least more than others about God. But there's a vast, vast difference between actually knowing God intimately <coughs> and knowing about God. When we know God, or the intimate knowledge of God is much, much greater and much more of greater value than knowledge about God. Like, Ruday can explain everything about George, um, and she can explain, but without me meeting with George, without me spending time with George, I will never know who George is. I can know everything about him. I can know all the information there is of him. But without spending time with him, there's no way that I will know him. Um, and it's, it's exactly the same with God. Like we can know everything of God or about God. But have you spent time with him? Have you communed with him? Um, are you surrendered to Jesus as Lord? Um, because only there can we find true intimacy with him. Um, so, any other reasons that than that, actually, submitting yourself to the Lord and seeking intimacy with Him, if you actually intently look at the other reasons, it might seem godly, like, I want to grow more in the knowledge of God, um, whatever it might be, if you really intently um, investigate those reasons, you'll find that they actually put the interests and the glory of man above giving glory to God. It's the same with our own actions. Like I've heard the saying, whatever you do, just have an eternal perspective. Like think of eternity. No, don't do that. Because you place your eternal well-being above giving glory to God. Um, And that's quite, that's dangerous. Um, It gets very dangerous. Um, And it actually leads leads to self-deception. But in thinking that you actually or intimate with God, when in actual fact you're not. 
you might actually deceive yourself in thinking that you know God intimately when you only know about God. If you continue in the cycle of reading um, as much knowledge as you can without the help of the Holy Spirit, then later on you'll think that you know God when you really don't. Um, And that's a dangerous place to be. That's very dangerous because that leads to a lot of boasting. Um, That actually leads to to a captivity. Um, And the one is information. The other one requires um, a relationship. Um, So if there's a relationship with the Lord, and that's where I want to get to. Some people might think, yes, but the word isn't alive for me when I read it. and it's it's really not that it's actually quite boring for me. Um, <clears throat> I just want to ask you, like, have you surrendered to Jesus as Lord? Um, because the word's quite clear. Like, if if you surrender to Jesus as Lord, then you become reborn, and His Spirit guides you. Um, so, if you truly have surrendered, only then will the Bible become alive. Like, it is the living Word of God. It's always the living Word. It's you that are dead, probably. Um, (laughs) Tough statement, but it's true. Like, the Word doesn't become become the dead Word of God all of a sudden. Um, There's only one that can be dead, and that's you. Um, So, (laughs) in saying that, like... We don't, shouldn't seek knowledge. I'm not saying that a Bible study is wrong. Like a Bible study is good. Um, like, but what's your heart's intention behind it? It's everything is to do with your heart's orientation towards God and towards the Word. If you read it to grow in intimacy, then He's going to bless it. He's going to guide you. You're going to grow more, just more into His Son. You're going to grow in purity. You're going to grow in humility. Um, For seeking intimacy will always bring forth humility because you will sit in awe of His majesty. But if you seek knowledge or what any other reason, you will leave there feeling proud and boastful because you will sit in awe of yourself. And that's the danger. You'll think that you are good. Like I've spent time with God, which you actually haven't then. And you'll boast in your own actions rather than simply sitting in awe of the majesty of God. Um, (laughs) So, quickly going to touch on how we read the Bible. Um, But, so, the why, if your why is wrong, if your motive is wrong, subconsciously, you'll have a self-perception of the Bible. Um, like it will influence you subconsciously to actually interpret it wrong. Um, like if you r- approach it with narcissistic mindset, wanting to soothe your own conscience, um, thinking that the scripture a day keeps the devil at bay, trying to quite see us there. <laughs> but like if you tr- to try to soothe your own conscience, then. You're just going to pick up the things that's nice to you. Um, then like, you're going to be subconsciously influenced by the way that you approach the Bible. So to always read the Bible in context, to have that in mind, which George explained, that the Bible always points to Jesus um, and the entire Bible is about Jesus. The new points to Jesus coming. Or the Old Testament points to Jesus coming as the Messiah. The New Testament points to Jesus coming again the second time, um, but always also referring back. So always read it in context. Like do yourselves a favor. Don't try to let the Bible fit your life. Like you fit its life. Like what was the culture of the people that it spoke to? Like just a basic like study of why was Romans written. Just that. And don't go into deeper study firstly um, but just ask the Lord for help like God please help me that I may grow in intimacy with you that's a, that's a solid prayer to pray like, it's not narcissistic it's so that I can give you more glory God um, like conform me into your image that I may glorify you more and just to to end off is always approach the Bible with humility Like, if you meet something there that contradicts your own opinion, you are always wrong. Um, 
you're never right and the Bible wrong because the Bible is never wrong. Um, and the Bible always complements, it never contradicts itself. So if you see something that may find to contradict, um, then maybe like stay there and meditate on those scriptures um, and ask the Lord to help you to see the full picture in this. Um, and just to end off is just remember that there's three ways that we spend time with the Lord. It's prayer, worship, and Bible, or reading the Word, communing with Him through the Word. And if we neglect one of these three, the other two will slowly be and surely not become as joyous or we won't experiment or find it as nice if, as it used to be. Um, it will fade away. So if your Bible reading seems to be becoming more dull, then just go and look. Are you still worshipping the Lord? By worship, I mean ad- adoring Him. He's like sitting in awestruck majesty, adoration of who He is, of His majesty. And are you still praying? So neglecting one of the three will always lead lead to a decay of the other two. Yeah. I need a breather after that one. <laughs> Let's all take a breath as the conviction. <laughs> um, welcome to my everyday life. It's a privilege. <laughs> I'm usually the one that cracks a joke afterwards, (laughs) but it's a privilege um, to always hear that side of your intimacy with God. And I want to encourage us. I think a lot of the times the the thing I struggle with when it when it actually comes to reading the Word is is not feeling qualified. um, If that makes sense, like I do not have all this knowledge and. I'm not the scholar and I haven't got all the 10 different steps of how to do Romans. Like That is okay. Uh, it's not bad to have those steps and to know those things. It's, it's actually, it, it gives you more access to have more revelation of the word and what it actually is saying and to have the historical context and the things that it, that is behind the scenes. It actually just encourages you more in the word. Um, but I think the thing that, that sometimes hinders me, and, and that is that inadequate feeling. I'm not intellectual. I'm, I'm not clever. And, and, and that is actually okay. I want to encourage you today, Tremaine said it a few times, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Um, oftentimes I go to George in the office and I ask things like, what do I do about this issue? And biblically and and he will just quote what Noreen says to him, and it's. <laughs> Sorry. And that's Holy Spirit help. Um, Lord help. Um, you are, the Holy Spirit is the helper. And, and Tremaine said it uh, often as was when we read the word alone, it's, it's never, it's not good. It's, it's self edifying. Reading it with the Holy Spirit. That's where the life comes in. The Holy Spirit, the Word is alive. It's not a, a scroll that was written. It was written long ago. But it, it's still alive today. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling in the mornings to just sit with the Word, I often do. My response then is, Lord, help. This makes no sense. Jesus said this three verses ago, and now he's saying this. <laughs> I do not understand. Please help me. And he's faithful. He's faithful to help us, and he wants to encourage us, and he wants us to grow in the word and in the knowledge of who he is, because the more we grow in knowing who he is, we actually become free, and that sometimes is challenging because we have to let go of things we like to hold on to and beliefs we like to hold on to, Um, but actually surrendering and saying, sorry, Father, I believe this. Help me believe your truth. Help it become a revelation in my life. And and then it becomes alive. And transformation happens. And yes, it's painful. But discipline is painful. <laughs> Afterwards, the joy and the fruit that reaps from it is, is a blessing. And it, it feeds others around us. Amen. Do you want to add on something? I, I think um, something that's, that's also really helped me is, is to read... Um, to read scripture in groups and with people, um, 
it really helps because some some things I understand, some things I don't understand, different perspectives. Um, it, it really helps to read it in community. I mean, that's originally how scripture was read. It was in community, and um, it's community with one another and the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's just beautiful when people come together and agree on the word and get excited about the word, because that's probably the time where I've grown the most excited about the word is when I've read it with people and other people are excited about what it says about God and now we can worship God together and it's just it's, it's crazy so to read scripture in, in community with people one or two people doesn't matter but together helps so much for me as well yeah just to um, add on to what Rizai actually said <coughs> is make me like it's okay to get it wrong from time to time, to time. It's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, it's now you're here to know. Like I just like make mistakes is liberating. Like to see that the world's not going to fall apart when you make one mistake or ten or twenty or a hundred. Like God is God; He will always remain God, and the world is always in His hands. Um, so when you get it wrong, just ask for forgiveness from the Lord and move on. Like that's okay. Like that's we are human; we make mistakes. Okay. <laughs> I make lots of mistakes. Okay, love. Um, <laughs> are you ready for this? Love came very prepared. Um, love, how do we bring our experiences together with the word? Basically, how do I discern experience and scripture? I think it's a it's a difficult question, and and the first time I I had a challenge with this question is when you know I started to go on missions, and I you know became a Christian when I was or I got reborn when I was in my second year, and and especially going out into the world and actually experiencing a lot of things outside of church really gave me a, a big question mark on many of the things that I used to see, you know questions are why is the world working this way you know if i look at the world and business and how people deal with one another um you know there's so many and even on the missions field you ask yourself okay i'm seeing this is happening does this align with the word is this fine is it not fine now maybe a bit of background about myself you you can go to that first slide but i'm very in in a sense you know sort of black and white there's no gray for me so um see always used to tune me about that because in my mind there's only one right it's right or wrong you know, you get people that sort of oftentimes want to justify things. But I grew up in, in a way that I, I think about things intellectually, and, and that's fine. You know, if you want to understand the word and really the implications about it, you can go to the next slide. But also growing up, you know, um, and, and even studying economics is I've got a big, I'm very, you know, sort of nascirev. I really ask a lot of questions, um, and, and I want to encourage people to do that. But also, if I look at the world, I see poverty, I see economies failing, I see wars, I see what's happening in Syria, and all those things used to challenge me. But apart from, you know, the economics, you know, um, and, and being very, you know, inquisitive, um, you know, I, I got born again in my second year or recommitted, and, and then I started to study the word. But my issue was I grew up in a Christian home, and in a sense, I religiously read my Bible. So, you know, I for, you know, it's probably 18, 19 years or 20 years that I, I read the Bible every day. There wasn't a day that I skipped. And so I agree with, with what the rest has said, that you can read Scripture, but it, it might actually not add anything to you, although I think it's still good for you when you read Scripture. But I was like this in the evenings. Either would have a plan, but I would always be like, Lord, what do you want to say with, to me? And then you sort of open up the Bible and then you sort of read, you sort of feel maybe maybe God is speaking to me and you read it. And then the first thing that you think is what's written here is written directly to me. You know, some of them, probably the most profound, you know, revelation that I got from Bible school my first year was this whole concept of reading scripture in context. And, and it was remarkable to hear those words. I don't even know who gave that quote. But the quote is, the Bible was not written to us, but for us. I'm going to say the, the Bible was not written to us, but for us. For instance, when Paul was writing, you know, to the, the churches, he was writing to the churches. He wasn't writing to Jermaine or myself. Does that mean that I cannot take anything out of it? 
of, it doesn't mean that, but naturally, when I started to read, you know, scripture and being inquisitive, that actually helped me to enjoy scripture. Now think about it this way, and me being an economist, if I put a big bowl, not a bowl, yeah, if I put a big tub of ice cream in front of you, you know, for most things that you consume, there's a diminishing marginal utility, meaning the more you eat, the less you'll enjoy it. So maybe the, no, okay, I'll, I'll explain that again. Okay, forget that. I'm going to explain. It's, it's really simple. So that first bite that you eat of that ice cream, okay, amazing ice cream, hazelnuts in it, chocolate sauce, vanilla ice cream. You eat that first bite, right? It's amazing. The second bite you take and the third is also great, but it's not as great as the first one, right? So you get a kind of curve that looks like this. And over time, if you eat five tubs, then, you're, then you actually start to not enjoy it anymore. Are you with me? But it's quite amazing with Scripture, and the point I want to make is this, is that I've written the Bible now for 25 or 26 years, or, or read, and, and the, the, the most you know, amazing thing about the years that I actually started to script, uh, study Scripture and with the help of the Holy Spirit in faith read the Bible is that you actually get way more out of it as time progresses. Think about any other book you've, re- you've read before. If you read the Bible every day, then there's probably no other book that you've read more. But you're probably sitting here tonight and thinking to yourself, I need to read more of the Bible. And as you read more of the Bible, you actually get to that point where you actually get more out of it over time. And that's different to the world and just that consuming culture. Because with the Holy Spirit and in faith, when you read the Word, it actually transforms you. And that first scripture I want to read is, or my first scripture is Hebrews 4. And it's very important to actually just look at this. Um, it's Hebrews 4 verse 11. It says, uh, verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it's the, the word actually, verse 12, it says, The word of God, it actually talks about the Logos word, which is the written word. And what's amazing to me is we, we know this scripture because we quote it all the time, but it's living and it's powerful, meaning that it's not just something dead. It's something that has remained and been preserved over time because of inspired men of God. But actually the fact that it's living, it, it's so profound, is that all the time God is, God is speaking to us through the word. And I agree with Jermaine. There's also a quote that said, if you don't have a relationship with scripture, you cannot have a relationship with Jesus. And, and that's sort of profound because what does John 1 says is the word became flesh and it dwelt among us, right? The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and mercy. And sort of in this unity is Jesus actually becoming in the form of flesh. He came to us and that is the word. And it's confirmed again in 1 John. And so if you read scripture, you're communing and you're actually in relationship with Christ because he is the word made flesh. And, but actually, the, the three things that you can highlight there, which is important, is it is what it does. This living and powerful word, it actually says here, it's, uh, it's a two-edged sword. It, it's pierce, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit. So that's the first one. And then of joints and marrow, which talks about your physical nature, you know, science, and is then a center of the heart. It actually talks about, and that's what I've found, the Bible often to be like a mirror. You, you wake up and you look in the mirror, but it's actually self-reflecting and showing you where you can grow into the image of Christ. And if you all the time read the word with the Holy Spirit and in faith, it, all the time it will bring you to the place of growing in Christ and changing. And so if, that, if you're reading scripture and it's not happening, then you must ask yourself, are you maybe reading scripture from that, you know, the wrong motive? You know, narcissistic, what can I get out of it? Um, but then the next slide, I, I just want to quickly touch on um, this approach, you know, I, I recently started reading as a doctor in, in the U.S. His name is Timothy Jenkins, and he brings this sort of, you know, three-pronged ap- approach to, towards Scripture. Now, before you think I'm crazy, the first one there talking about the Bible, obviously that is number one, and that is sufficient. We believe the Word is the inspired Word of God. But he talks about actually reading the Word within this context also of using science, one of them, um, and then also experience, because the question asked to me is, how do you, you know, get to that point where you can translate your experiences, which is in the flesh, which is things that you see when you walk out the ear, or things that you experience with the word? 
And what if your experience contradicts with the word? What do you do in, in, in that space? And this approach, where he talks about an integrated approach there, is using all three of these aspects into a sort of a harmonized truth. Now, of course, the word of God is truth and absolute truth. I believe in that. But in that sense, when it comes to your experience, it always needs to align with Scripture. Because if your uh, experience doesn't align with Scripture, then that leads to mysticism. I mean, I've often said that people that uh, really only focus on the experience, sort of, it's all the time the experience, but you cannot pull those experiences back to Scripture, then, then, I, then I, I make a question mark and I say, but listen, let's go back to what the Word says. Um, and, and sort of, because often you also see with mysticism or only experience or emotions, is if that's only there, you'll often find many massive contradictory principles manifesting that person's life. Um, and so that's obvious then why, obviously, you need to bring Scripture back into your experience. But then Scripture alone, in that sense where you don't read it in community and in that place of actually being accountable and sharing with one another, that's why you get what we have today. You walk into a small town of maybe 5,000 people and there's 15 churches and, you know, maybe 20 different denominations. And so oftentimes what people do, reading just Scripture and just taking Scripture, it just becomes theory oftentimes and it's not practical. And then also it leads to a lot of division. And that's that first one over there. I think in the U.S. there's now about 1,400 different church groups. And then you ask yourself, okay, but we all follow the, the same Bible. So, so how is that possible? In the same way, if you look at today, you, you have people in different denominations, even people claiming to be Christians. And then you look at how does, does that relate to experience then and also science. And then actually you get to that place where many of the things are then starting to become contradictory. I mean, I can name a few people that walk around and actually evangelizing. And then we interrogate on this approach what they're actually saying. And then you, you find many contradictions. But then also science. I don't mean science here in the sense only of sort of biology. I'm also talking about nature, what you see in nature, for instance, um, and, and what's happening you know, in the science, scientific realm. Because for most part, and all, always, science and then the Word of God will align. It's not funny then to see many of the early scientists and even the people, in, even the Greek philosophers, many of them were Christians. And many of the truths that they discovered back then was based on the Word. And so that's all obviously also a great thing to say. When I see something outside, can I you know, relate that back to the Word? Or even if I don't understand something in science or within nature, then I can go back to the Word. It will never contradict. And so you know, that's funny actually with me is I work as an economist and I really study things like income and poverty and issues with our economy. And then I ask myself, but, you know, why, why is happening? Why did we have a financial crash in 2009? You know, when, when no one in the world except for two guys could predict it coming. You know, and then the other day I was sort of reading up on literature and stuff like that. Now these are guys with PhDs are sitting at university. And then this unsaved guy, you know, and it's actually two guys I found. They said this whole issue with the debt crisis in the world, there's too much debt. But he actually said we need a debt jubilee. And then he goes into Scripture and he quotes Scripture to explain to us how that would look like in the modern world. Now that freaks me out, you know, as a, as a Christian sitting in church and then going outside the world that you actually find that the problems we have, and then obviously within science and in our experience and the Word of God, there we can actually find solutions to walking out there. Because oftentimes we talk about Scripture and we read Scripture here, but when you go to work in university, you sometimes feel out in a sense, or not even out, but how do you translate then your scripture and what you believe in outside there? And I think then also in terms of your experience, then if you use this harmonized approach and obviously remember in community reading that, then that comes to a place where you can always test because that next slide actually uh, asked this question about the evidence approach. Hello, Next slide. So, why can we use this approach? The, the first one, the history of God's action are recorded in Scripture, and that's exactly what George has explained to us. I mean, we, we're trying and looking at evidence. Is the evidence all over the place, whether that's in history or your everyday life? Then the next one, the evidence of his character is revealed in Christ. So again, there's another reason why we would follow an approach like that. Then the other one, he has given us testable laws. And that, that's amazing. If you think about science, science is about that you can test laws meaning, for instance, gravity. You can test that, and every time it will fit into the parameters of that law. 
you know, but also God has made that the nature and these laws. And so in studying science, it should always point back to Scripture and to Christ. Then the next one is given us or our experience matters. And this is the other thing that I'm very, you know, keen to share about. It's not only the negative experience or experience you cannot explain, but the reason we can use this approach also is our, our experiences, our answered prayers, the testimonies, those intimate times with God. Those are very important. You cannot go away with the emotional side of dealing with God because God made us emotional. And so that's also profound to me is, you know, embrace being emotional with God and with Christ, especially within intimacy with God in your own time. That's why, for instance, I often cry when I'm intimate with God, when God speaks to my heart, and I allow allow Him to speak to me in terms of my experience, but also in terms of my emotions. And for many people, they're very, like, sort of, you know, hesitant to go to that point where our experiences really become really intimate, intimate and amazing, but that should again then reinforce what we read in Scripture. And then you must ask yourself your question is, if you experience and what you experience, if it doesn't align to Scripture, then I would really you know, suggest you pray about it and ask God to show you what's happening there. And relate it back to that sort of harmonized approach where you bring it back to science, but also to your experience, but then also the Word, which is all obviously overarching, and then start to ask those questions. And, and I can promise you, you'll always get an answer. And that's the amazing thing about God is that you can read this word, and I believe I will read the word in the next 50 years. Let's say in 50 years' time I read the word, and I'll probably learn even more then than I already know. Because that sort of a continual in the word, you know, being in the word is, is really powerful. Just the last point, which I want to sort of go back to, is the next scripture. And I'm just going to actually use that first one. It's actually in, in uh, Joshua 1 verse 7 to 8. It talks about, it's just when Moses passed away and, and then Joshua took over. And it says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, that you may be successful wherever you do. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. And many commentators refer to that word meditation actually to refer to and this comes back to the agriculture and science, um, is meditate, meaning the word translated means ruminating. Now, if you know about animals, and see, as well know, you know, with sheep, but especially with cattle, is that they often eat, if they walk into a grazing field, they find nice grass to eat. They would eat and then sit down or, or lie down and then and chew all the time. And then they actually swallow that, you know, the chewed grass, and then later, after a while, it actually, because um, cattle has got multiple stomachs. How many? Four. Who says four? Who says three? I'm just joking. It's the evidence approach. So we'll, we'll, look, we'll, look in the, we'll look in the literature. I'm not taking Jason's answer. But the, 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 what happens then is you chew, and then after a while, as, as the, uh, you know, the cow moves on, then later actually sit down and, and bring back up because it's able to do that. I know that sounds a bit gross. But then actually take, take that nutrients and chew on it again and actually take more and more nutrients out of that. And then as it goes along to the different stomach, then the cow or you know, the sheep would actually get all the nutrients from that. But just in terms of bringing that back to the Word, that's what we can do all the time is we can read the Word and always, you know, that's for instance, you'll read a scripture a thousand times and then maybe that one extra time you'll get a revelation you've never had before. I don't know if, if that has, has happened to you. Then you think, how did I read this a thousand times and only now getting the revelation? You know, but the reality is also that maybe if you didn't read it that thousand times, you probably wouldn't have had that revelation. And so that's our encouragement. You know, it's the story of Christ and then also, you know, in terms of your motives behind reading Scripture. But, man, if you don't read Scripture, I mean... I mean, it will really, obviously, you won't have a relationship with Christ, but this book is the most, you know, authentic and most reliable, you know, ancient text that there is. In first-year Bible school, they talk about the different manuscripts and the amount of times the Bible's been recorded over and over, which makes it just the most authentic and most read book in the world. Did you know that? And so that's so amazing then to, to really bring that back to our experience to say, you know, when we stick to the Word and also meditate on it, God will continually show us and we'll grow in Him and, you know, become more like Him, which is our goal.
me. <laughs> yeah, I just want to add to that. I think if we can just end off with that and I can ask the band to come up. I think we live in such a confusing time. Um, the world is crazy. What we see around us um, in communities is, is really challenging. And, and we need to learn to test. And the safest way for us to do this as believers is to know the word of God. It's, an, it's a gift he's given us that we can, we can know what is true. We can know what is not. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.